and welcome to Talking Scared. I'm your host, Neil McRobert, and this week we're going back to the office for some anxiety-inducing social tension. My guest, I'm delighted to say, is Zakia Dalila Harris, author of The Other Black Girl, a novel that's already been tipped for greatness and for very good reason. It takes the biting social satire of Jordan Peele's Get Out, mixes it with the urban paranoia of Rosemary's Baby, and distills it through the workplace trauma of The Devil Wears Prada. Plus, add in a bit of ripe awkwardness, like the most excruciating moments from The Office, and you have what may be, and I'm saying this in capital letters, a very important book. That isn't to make it sound too portentous and serious, though. Zakaria and I get deep into the issues and the social tissue that underpins her novel, but it's important to remember that, just like Get Out, the story itself is not just a vehicle for change. It's also fun as all hell. There's too much good stuff in this conversation for me to waste time with this intro, so let's get straight into it. Come with me to a gleaming office building in the middle of Manhattan. Inside, the brightness hides the darkness but the whiteness hides a lot more. Let's talk scared. Well, hi, Zakir, and welcome to Talking Scared. As I ask all my guests, how are you and where are you? Hi, uh, thank you so much for having me. I am in Brooklyn, New York. Well, that is quite fitting because this is this is possibly the most New York novel that we've had so far on the show. A lot of authors seem to come from upstate New York. This one is right in the middle of the metropolis. Yes. <laughs> the book in question is your debut, The Other Black Girl, which is out, I believe, June 1st from Atria Books in the US and Bloomsbury in the UK. Yep. Okay, so that'll be a week after this airs. Everyone go and get it in a week's time. I'll be honest, I've interviewed a lot of big established names recently, including someone close to your own heart in Tananarive Do. Yes. But yours is the book that I've been the most looking forward to discussing because, well, because it's just so discussable. You know what I mean? This is going to be a book that's Mm -hmm. on everyone's book group list. It's generating a lot of conversation already. I saw there was a great piece just this week in The Garden about how the workplace novel is changing and your book was was right at the heart of that. Yes. Do our listeners a favour. Tell us what we need to know about The Other Black Girl before we start. Yes, sure. So, so The Other Black Girl mainly follows Nella Rogers, who is a young uh, 26-year-old editorial assistant. She works at a very prestigious publishing house in New York called Wagner Books. Um, and it's very prestigious and very, very white. She's the only black person working there. So she's been the only black person working there for the last two years, um, is handling all the microaggressions on her own, really having to figure out how to navigate her kind of wacky, um, somewhat waspy and very white, again, can't emphasize enough, very white coworkers at Wagner Books. Um, So she's really excited when Hazel, another young black woman who was raised in Harlem, New York, um, starts working at the cubicle next to hers. Um, Nella thinks, okay, great. Like, here we go. I have someone who is like me, someone who will get it, you know, get all those microaggressions. But then very quickly, uh, I'll just say very strange things start happening in the office for Nella. And Nella starts to wonder, 
if Hazel is all that she seems. Um, and now unfolding alongside Nella's story are the stories of three other Black women, um, Shani, Kendra and Diana, and they are all also tied to the world of publishing. And they have all chosen different paths, have made different decisions in life, but they are all bound by a secret, along with Nella, that has implications not just for themselves, but for Black people all over the world. That's both a fulsome answer and one that necessarily <laughs> tiptoes around some some really big spoilers. Um, yes. As, as with so many books that I've discussed recently, there are places we can't tread. <laughs> yeah, we'll, uh, we'll do it together. It's hard. We, we, I've done it in the past. You know, we did Katrina Ward's House on Needless Street, which is one mm. big spoiler warning. So um, <laughs> we, we can get to this together. Yes, we got this. So where to start with this? <laughs> Talking Scared, the show... It runs the gamut of horror fiction, from the gross to the gruesome to the gothic and all places in between. And to give my listeners some sense of context to this, I would say, and I hope you'd agree, that th this book exists in the same kind of landscape as, obviously, Jordan Peele's Get Out and mm -hmm. going back down that lineage, back to something like Ira Levin's Rosemary's Baby. You know, it's a, it's yes. a paranoid thriller and about urban life, about prejudice, about, you know, things that... The horror is not necessarily in the places you think it's going to be. But but the only thing that links any of the books on this show is fear. Tell me, what particular fear is the other black girl confronting? Oh, I mean, there are so many fears. Uh, when I was writing this book... For me, um, a lot of Nella's experience comes from her fear of not being Black enough. Um, so I mentioned in my description, Nella is the only Black person for a while. And then Hazel, this other um, Harlem-born, just exudes Blackness from her head to her toes. Like, she is the epitome, this, like, spikely <laughs> New York cool that Nella has always in a lot of ways, having been raised in um, a, a New England town, um, she's always not had that. And she's always been, for a lot of her youth, and there's a part in the book that mentions her, you know, being an Oreo, um, seeming uh, she's Black on the outside, but she speaks a certain way that doesn't make her, quote unquote, Black. You know what I mean? So, so a lot of Nella's anxieties um, when we meet her and throughout the book, we kind of see uh, how those things have really gotten under her skin and also why those things bring her closer to Hazel, right? Like why she wants to be Hazel's friend and why she's so excited that finally in this very white space, I don't have to code switch the way that I do. I can be myself with you. Um, but then, of course, that flips in, in different ways. Um, I'll just leave it at that. So um, that's really, I think, the fear of not belonging, of not being Black enough or just not being enough, period, is one of the biggest fears. Um, and then there are other fears, too, of course. I mean, there are a lot of microaggressions. Uh, you mentioned Get Out. And, of course, that's, I mean, I was thinking all about uh, the the white liberal in a lot of ways and uh, the kind of I voted for Obama, like <laughs> I'm on your side, but also what that means for a black person, um, if that's performative versus if that's actual actually helpful um, and what, hap what, what does it mean if there's something at the root of that that's maybe not as well-meaning as it comes off to be. 
Right. Yeah. So I'm trying to pause that now because, <laughs> but because quite literally, I have a question that refers specifically to that comment. You know, I would have voted for Obama. I've actually written it down. Um, so, so before I interviewed Tanana Reevdu, obviously I mm-hmm. I watched um, Horror Noir the documentary, yes. which then sent me back to rewatch Get Out because mm-hmm. I'd watched it the first time and it kind of it didn't quite impress me anywhere as much as the second time I watched it. I watched mm-hmm. the second time and, and I had almost exactly the same reaction to that film as I had to your book. I, I think the thing about both of them is that, that, that gets forgotten, well, gets forgotten about the film and I hope doesn't get forgotten about your book, is that aside from being kind of teachable moments, he says, doing mm-hmm. air quotes, they're also just great fun stories. And I think sometimes with with issue-led stories, that, that gets forgotten about, you know? right. This is a fun story to read. The other thing is, so they've got a fantastical premise, which we won't go into, but they also, they excel, your book and his film, in the details and the interactions that show how deeply embedded certain unthinking, Mm. how it can be embedded in white thought, even in well-meaning white thought, you know? And, and yeah. We, we said this, and this is me talking too much here, but I I read this and it was kind of like a toe-killing experience because I recognised myself in the, essentially, in, in the villains of the piece. <laughs> a few years ago, I would have been exactly the guy saying, I'd have voted for Obama a third term. And <laughs> I, I, I'd, I'd have said it and also not understood what was wrong with saying it. You know what I mean? And And this... Totally. This book pokes amazing kind of vicious fun at, at that kind of stuff. So there's, there's, there's a scene in which um, one of Nella's colleagues kind of casually mistakes her for Hazel and then, you know, awkwardness mm. ensues. And there's this great <laughs> riff that runs through that really made me smile with all the people at this publishing house who constantly reaffirm the fact that they don't see colour. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it it really yeah. made me laugh and cringe at, at the same time. <laughs> um, which, which brings us to the fact that you used to work in publishing. Let, let's be mm-hmm. honest. There's a yes. there's a rich vein of biographical kind of inspiration in this from from what I've gathered. Um, tell us where that idea came from. I've talked enough now. Tell us where where did this story come from? Yeah, no. Um, I I mean I love it. I love everything you just said. I'm and. I hope we'll be able to get into that because I, I do think the I really wanted readers to see themselves um, for, for better or for worse, you know, and I, I think like the fact that we're having this conversation is, is so important. Um, uh, so, so this idea for the book, uh, yep, I worked in publishing for two and a half, three years. Um, and in a lot of ways, I loved it. I, always wanted to be a writer, but I also did my MFA in nonfiction creative writing. And so I got very used to having conversations on a granular level about writing and sentences and structure and all those things. Um, All the things that Nella loves (laughs) about editing. Um, And I did in a lot of ways have this idea that, cool, I'm here. There are not many other people who look like me here. Um, fortunately, it wasn't as bad as where Nella works. Uh, there were other Black people present, but I was one of two Black people on my floor. So, you know, <laughs> a little better. Um, 
but I did have in my mind like, okay, I'm here. I was able to get over this this really prickly fence. Um, maybe I can at some point bring other people here as I rise and other people of color, other black women specifically. And so I did have that in my mind. And of course, Toni Morrison, having once upon a time worked at Random House um, as an editor, she's very much for me, or at least at the time for me, was what Kendra Ray is for Nella um, in the book. Um, And so, yeah, I I had that kind of romantic idea of publishing. But then, of course, I would look around the table and I would see who was at the table and I would see who was getting promoted. And it's often not, it wasn't young people. It wasn't people entry-level positions. Um, I was fortunate to get promoted as an assistant editor two years in, but you know, it's it's hard. It's a it's a very old fashioned. Not all places, not all publishing places, but a lot of the imprints um, I've heard. Uh, it's hard to move up. It's hard to really find your way up, and it's even harder, I think, when you're not seeing anyone else who looks like you at your level or higher. Um, the pay isn't great, um, and of course, if you're a certain kind of person, you can afford to to work there. And I I could. Um, I had a, a a parachute if I needed one, but there's just a lot of, there's race, there's class, there's everything that's like, I think there are a lot of problems with publishing. So all of those things were like in my mind. Um, and after getting promoted, like I said, I was given a book to work on and I was supposed to be really excited because again, hard to move up. But uh, I just remember getting this book and sobbing <laughs> after my boss gave me this book. And um it was a great book. I'm not saying it was about the book, but I just realized like in that moment, this isn't what I want to do. And I think it was the fatigue, again, of being just not seeing change happen. Uh, those town halls I mentioned in the book, diversity town halls, like those were loosely based in <laughs> real conversations. I exaggerate a little bit, but like the, the sentiment was there of really young people, editorial assistants and people at entry level positions like being the ones who wanted the change to happen versus, you know, everyone else is kind of just hanging out. Um, so I, I started sobbing about this book. And then a few months later, I ran into this black woman in the bathroom who I'd never seen before. Um, and I remember having a lot of emotions about it. Uh, first being excited, then confused, wondering who she was, because the other person on my floor, the other black person on my floor was a, a, a black editor man uh and he'd been there for a while and so nothing happened we didn't interact but I went back to my desk and I just realized in that moment it's like I am really starved for another black person um another black woman specifically like I mean I had coworkers I loved I'm still in contact with but just again to see someone else looks like you it just makes a big difference and so after that moment, I went back to my desk and I just started writing. Um, literally, the scene in the very first chapter uh, where Nella's sitting in her cubicle, smelling something strange. Um, I was sitting in my desk and like just imagining that feeling. And then you basically it became a horror story. Yeah. Well, I should add that. Yeah. So I knew in the moment that. When I started writing it, it's Nella, but of course there would be another black woman who came to work with her um, and something was off about her. That was all I knew because I love horror. I love thrillers, especially movies like Get Out, but Invasion of the Body Snatchers, like 
The Blob, uh, Night of the Living Dead, like those old classic movies. And of course, the Twilight Zone, all those things really in- influenced me. And I love horror noir, actually, um, that you mentioned earlier. Uh, I had seen that right when I first started writing this book. So I know for sure that really inspired me. And that's where the epigraph comes from. Yeah, because the epigraph says black history is black horror, which is the line that I wrote down when I was watching the documentary because yeah. trust Tanana Reeve, it just it literally just nails it, doesn't it? Like like nothing else it's, in that documentary does. She distills it all down into one sentence. It's it's amazing. And I just remember uh went last summer when my uh publisher and I were, you know, I was putting the book together and you know, acknowledgments and all those things, and they were like, Do you want an epigraph? And I remember thinking about it um, because I, I'd always wanted to write a book. I always thought, oh, epigraphs are going to be really easy to write. Like, that's the easiest part. Just crazy. Um, <laughs> but one day I just remembered that that actual sentence, like Black history is Black horror. And everything else I thought of, just like that was just the only thing that made sense. It, it felt like to me because this book isn't straight up horror, right? It's it's an amalgamation of a few different genres. and But I really did want to signal to the reader, like there is something else mm. going on here. Like be prepared <laughs> is what I yeah. hope it says. Yeah, because for, for a, long, a long time, you, you could feel like this is just an anxious novel of contemporary life, you know, and then, and then, mm-hmm. then things are revealed, which we, we won't go into. But yeah, it is quite a nice, a nice warning, I suppose. You've taken us through your potted history there and how the book came about. Let let's get the awkward question that I've got to ask <laughs> um, out of the way early doors, so we can relax. All right. So <laughs> yes. your publisher, Atria, they yes. now I'm not going to force you into a corner where you've got to commit career suicide, so don't worry. But your publisher, <laughs> um, they come under the Simon and Schuster umbrella. And yes. I wonder if recently that has been, considering the very nature of your book, I wonder if that's been a tricky thing to navigate with all the bad press they've had recently about whose voices they are platforming and things like that. It gives a sort of meta angle to your book almost. I mean, even before all of that, it's all felt very strangely meta. Um from I think even with the protests happening last summer when I was working on the edits of this book. Um, a lot of events seem to be finding their way into, or books and events in the book actually end up being, or not even events, but just themes and issues. Um, I mean, it's been, it's been, it's been hard, I think, in a lot of ways, knowing that, um, you know, I feel, I felt very excited about this book when it was sold last year. And I know Atria, you know, we talked very explicitly when I first um, met with them last year. This was weeks before the pandemic hit. It's kind of crazy about the timing. But I know that when I met with the team, they were so in for this book and here for all of the conversations, here for really making sure that everybody is in Black readers specifically, because having worked on the other side of this, I know that that's not always the case that Black readers... Um, and just non-white readers of a certain class are reached. And so, I mean, they have been really wonderful about that part, about the cover, about me not explaining any references. Like, I have just had 
such a runway to really make this book as Black as I want to make it. Um, And so I feel wonderful about my team at Atria and um, just how they have seen this book and have made this just happen in a beautiful way. I will say that I was very, 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 very disappointed and had to take a take a break from social media for a while because I was also trying to be creative and trying to just do things that didn't uh, feel emotionally draining in that way. Um, and yeah, so I, I think I felt it, it's just hard. It's as you can see, I'm still processing it. I mean, I think I think for any Black creative, we're already feeling anxious and worried and hopeful that our art is being being received uh, the right way. But also like we, we don't want to worry about feeling like we're selling out. We don't want to worry about, you know, all the things that Nella, all the issues that are coming up in the yeah. book about what the best way to talk about these things, what the best way to overcome racism and um, the lack of diverse hiring in these very white, traditionally white, predominantly white spaces. Um, These are all the things that I think a lot of black artists are trying to figure out. And so, I mean, I'm, I know that my team has been on board with this book hundred percent. I do think that a lot still needs to change. Um, But yeah, so my answer for you is I am just like (laughs) trying to hope that this book will inspire more and more conversations um, about all of the problems with publishing and specifically, of course, with my, my publisher too. It's, it's hard. It's, it's a really fine, it's hard to to navigate all of these things. And then of course, with the book coming out, (laughs) that's a whole other layer of of anxiety. So. (laughs) Cause I think, I think your book has made me like painfully cynical about publishing because (laughs) Yeah, Simon and Schuster, the, the Umbrella Corporation, it, it popped up yeah. with this um, campaign, "Books Like Us." Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, the, the the mission statement it says is to facilitate accessibility to underrepresented writers by amplifying voices that represent us. And in the wake of re- spending a week reading about how your characters in power, how they address racial inequality as largely a marketing strategy. Um, yeah. I was really struggling not to kind of scoff and see it as anything really <laughs> like, you know, tokenistic response to bad press. So I think, I think you've broken me basically. Because I, I, I was like, oh, right, that is just something that Wagner would do. That is definitely something that, that, you know, it just, it felt lifted from your novel. I mean, it's a, it's a trip, right? I, I honestly think I've also broken myself a little bit because, <laughs> because I'm like, I'm like, what in the next book, do I write about someone who writes a book about all of the, but you know, it's like, it's just the meta just keeps going and going. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, and it's hard. It's, so that was happening at the same time that the George Floyd verdict uh, was announced here. And um, I just remember that week was so exhausting. <laughs> it was very emotionally exhausting. And and with the book, that's also what I'm trying to get at too. Like Nella's, Nella's got all these microaggressions happening at work. She has to watch, read all these news articles, watch all these videos of Black people getting murdered by the police, of all these verdicts, even when they go the right way. Um, I mean, as right as they can be, right? Because it's sad that we have to still be doing this. Um, but like all of those things are pressing on Nella 
all of the time. They're pressing on pressing on all black women, all black people, all of the time, um, even when we don't realize it and aren't thinking about it. And so, I mean, I'm really hoping that this book will just open more eyes and also start again more conversations about like all of the the baggage and the weight that we're carrying around. But then also I do, I don't want it to just be that too. I also want it to be, you know, you mentioned, I think earlier, the the lightness, the fun, the the kind of humor. I I want to also show, you know, what's at stake when we do have all these things bugging us down, like those joys, the the black joy, uh, those two things are, are essential to our experience. And we, we have to really look at both. Well, you said a few things there that I want to pick up on. So initially, Mm -hmm. right, the joy and the humour, first of all, because whilst it's such a tense, anxious, kind of like itchy read, it's also just like quite laugh out loud for me. You know, the heaviness is very much lightened uh, with a kind of really dark humour. And like my absolute favourite bit is that there's a character in this called Jesse, who is... He, he's a character who's kind of in the periphery, but he's he, he's a fearless firebrand, a black voice who is just unafraid of saying what he wants to say. You know, he's he's a bit of an aspirational figure for Nella. And then towards the end, we meet him and we find out for various reasons that I won't go into again. We find out that his favourite actor is Mel Gibson. And then he, 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 even better as a beautiful literary in-joke, as she's leaving the room, she hears him say that his favourite book is Infinite Jest. <laughs> and it's just it's like when people say you know Anne Rand is the favorite author it's like don't date them you know like, <laughs> like the, the fact that you picked infinite jest it just it told you everything you need to know it's every white frat boy's favorite novel like, so I, I really enjoyed those references thank you I mean that was there are certain scenes and, and lines that I remember writing them like in the moment when I was trying to get the tone right and I remember I was talking to my partner about it and kind of like what do you think about infinite jest he was like oh that's that's good that's good <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one and so I was like okay cool I hope this lands um I wanted to comment on social media the way that we talk about trends. Um, and also MFA programs, I mean, they're not in the book, but I think Infinite Just, again, having done an MFA program, I just, like you say, it's like a type, it's a vibe. Um, And just publishing speak in general, like the comps, like just all of it, it's it's ridiculous and it's fun. And I think it speaks to how we all see each other and how we see the world. And the flip side of that as well is that you've mentioned, you know, not having to explain your references, and you mm. mentioned, you know, people wanting to Google things. You, you, you wanting people to explore things and Google things and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. like, I, I'm not ashamed to say that this book is just full of references that I have never encountered before. <laughs> this is, like, embarrassing. I'd never heard the phrase code switching. So I had to, ex- I had to wow. explore that. Yeah, didn't know about that at all. Yeah. I knew about the phenomenon, didn't know the name. Um, but, yeah, mm-hmm. you... you this is like such a patronizing word to use, but it's it's a very brave move, I think, to mm. not to explain your references because it could be it could be read as wrongly, I would say, but it could be read as quite an antagonizing tactic, quite an excluding mm. tactic. And I get why you did it. Um, and I'm the kind of person who thrills at that. Well, I want to find out what this is. I want to know what it is. But yeah, w- what was the conversation around that? Because I imagine. It wasn't an easy choice to make. I mean, I think 
for me. So it's fun having these conversations with people about my intentions and things that I was like, were you thinking about this? And that's actually a thing that when I was writing, I had no thought about whatsoever. I, when I started writing this book, I was very much kind of just like, get it all down because I've never written a full book that I felt good about. So it's like, write it all down. It doesn't matter how wrong it is. It doesn't matter how much you want to change it in the next draft. Like, this is just important. Like, tell this story and you can go back. And of the story just involved all of these references because that's how I see the world. Like, I am constantly referencing Black music references. I also am constantly, like, listening to Stevie Nicks. Like, I, <laughs> there are references on both sides that I mention um, for the white characters and for Nella, the Black women in the book. Um, that all apply to me, um, that I just see the world very musically and um, through film references and all those kinds of things. So so I was very much just like, here's how I would tell this story to to anyone else, like my Black friends specifically, I think, were the people that I was like, had in mind when I was writing about the Steve Urkel reference, uh, for instance. So, so that was really fun. I think that you know, I, I go back to, I studied English literature in college. Um, all of the classes I took, all of the, the books that I read, I always had Google open at the same time to like look up, you know, um, you know the fairy queen, like all of those, all of these things that we're just supposed to look up, especially when we're in college and we're studying these books. So thankfully no one asked me to change any any of those references, but I just knew that those were really instrumental to all of Nella's experience because that's how she sees the world. And and I didn't mean to say wow when you said you hadn't heard of, heard of code switching. Cause I also like I think for me I sometimes forget I don't know how much has made it to the mainstream, you know? And so I I I understand why you haven't heard of it. And so I'm just I'm excited to be that gateway uh, toward it, you know, so that after someone reads the book, they can talk to someone else about it. And now you can pass the knowledge on to someone else. Basically, it's just an obvious thing that, you know, no one, let me think of an example. So um, if someone was to talk about the boss, for example, um, in a book, you know, mm-hmm. most people would know it was Springsteen. Most people would know who that was. And even, even if they didn't, they wouldn't, they wouldn't read it as me trying to be um, antagonistic or keep you on the outside. Yeah, they wouldn't read it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas you write about Lauren, for example, you know, and I was mm-hmm. like, I, I'm a child of the '90s, so I was like, that's probably Lauren Hill. I think I've got this one. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can imagine. I can just imagine a conversation where people take umbrage at having to put the work in to, to use an overused quote. You know, I, I can imagine it being yeah. a very different response. And that's a brutally obvious thing to say because we all know that there is a um, a mm-hmm. dynamic at play here. Yeah. But I just think it's I just think it's good. I think the more we can normalize, you know, crack a book, check go Google something, the more we can normalize that, that it's not everyone else's job to crack the code. I think that that is a good thing. Totally. You mentioned briefly hair. That's my favorite mm-hmm. things, hand da- hands down, about the book. Right, is the fact that you spend so much time writing about hair and its codes and its symbolism and its meaning. And I had no idea that was a thing. <laughs> For a start, is that a thing? Is it so culturally loaded? Um, a black woman's hair. 
Yeah, I mean, so I'm, I'm going to go back to me for a little bit because I, I have had my own very complicated relationship with my own hair. Um, I mean, as a kid, some of the, the longest moments I would spend with my mom physically, she had her hands in my hair and she was braiding it or washing it or, you know, combing it. Um, it was very painful, uh, <laughs> very tender-headed. And that was, you know, me as a kid. And then um, I mentioned the fear of not being Black enough. I mean, I grew up in a town very much like Nella, my protagonist, um, mostly had white friends for a while. Most of them had very straight hair or at least, you know, not hair like mine. I And this was also the time of like Beyonce when she came out and had really, really long straight hair. And so I think all of the signs for me as like a 10 year old, I was like, I want to straighten my hair. I want to fit in into this very white uh, Eurocentric world. So I relaxed my hair for like 12 years up until six years ago. Um, and like Nella, I decided to do the big chop, which is just cutting all of it off and going natural. Um, and I think for me, I mean, I did that at a time um, that was especially um, big for me personally, but also big in the U.S. because I just moved to Brooklyn. Uh, Trayvon Martin verdict had been announced and this wasn't quite around there, but Eric Garner um, was the at that point the, the biggest thing. And that, of course, happened in New York as well. And so. I moved to New York for my MFA and would turn turn the corner and I'd see a protest. I'd hear people talking about it, you know, and uh, I'd also see other Black people riding the trains with all different kinds of hair, like things I didn't see necessarily when I was in college or in high school. And so um, for me, chopping my hair off at that time was a really big moment because I was rejecting the thing that I hadn't realized for so long I was um, kind of obsessed with having. I want like having straight hair was the thing that I'd always just wanted, and it wasn't really until then um, when I cut it off that I really thought about why. And I was also writing personal essays and kind of coming into my own racial awakening at the same time. So those were also informing my writing when I was writing the other black girl too, of just this seeing yourself through the world's eyes. I, I'd very much for a while just been like, oh, I grew up in this space and like everybody is going to love me because, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, no, like that's not the case. People see your skin and your hair and they're going to have an assumption about you. Um, so yeah, sorry, just <laughs> hair is, hair has been such a, <laughs> such a big part though. And, and so, oh, going back to your question too, uh, I really wanted this to be a major part of Nella because, again, her fear of not being accepted. But when she sees Hazel with her dreadlocks, she's like, oh, OK, so you're you're natural, too. Um, cool. Like we have this thing in common. We can bond over this um, finally, you know. And so so that also I felt like that just made such a so much sense as the thing that unites them. And then, of course, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I will I will go no further other than to say that what I thought was a really fascinating piece of cultural background actually takes a step towards the foreground. Hair becomes a big thing in this novel in ways I didn't expect. And and uh, that pleased me because all the way through I was thinking I really was fascinated by all of the stuff about hairstyles and hair care. And I was like, I don't know why. 
and then <laughs> like nothing could be further from my experience you know what i mean i'm, I'm a, a white guy with lank indie boy hair you know what i mean so but then it just like, at the end i was like i was quite I was quite. I felt quite vindicated that this part of the book I loved and not understood why became such a big thing. So yeah, yeah, no, it, yeah, yeah. And just all of those references. As, as I said to you before the conversation started, I said to you off air. I feel uncomfortable sometimes having conversations like this because it feels like the world is full of people like me asking people like you to explain your lives. You know what I mean? And I I feel quite uncomfortable having that conversation because that burden should not be on you all the time. But at the same time, this book is such a great window onto a life I will never live that you kind of, you want to seize the chance to talk about it, you know, and it it is quite a, quite a narrow tightrope to walk sometimes. Mm -hmm. Totally. And when I wrote this book, a lot of the interactions, um, I love how you called them. It was like an itchy read. I might have to steal that from you. I'm going to credit you (laughs) with it. But um, (laughs) a lot of those, those interactions between Nella and her, her white boss, Vera, Nella and her white author, Colin, um, about his, his book, his problematic book. There are no necessarily like right answers to how those conversations, like there. There are right answers, but I also think that a lot of it's more complicated than just being like, you know, you can't, you can't ask any questions. And I I remember talking to a lot of people about this last year, black and white, and everyone felt differently about it. I know my black friends were mixed. Some were like, yes, I will give you recommendations, like ask me for recommendations. Some people said, no, I don't want that. And, and I think that's, you know, both are right, right? I think that um, it really depends on the person. And I know that having written this book the way that I did, I, I really wanted it to open up the space for people to feel like they can ask questions and we can talk about this because I do think that's in a lot of ways the first step of like identifying the fact that you don't know certain things. Um, again, with this book, that's what I want. I want, especially with the ending, I want people to feel compelled to discuss, you know, what could have, what could have changed the outcome? What could have made this different, this conversation? Where, where did it go wrong? Like, could something have been done? All of those things. I just think the more we talk about them, the better. But of course, again, that's me. I don't want all listeners to go out and find my person to ask questions about. Again, I read the book because I, I want that, um, but not everyone does. And so I, I do appreciate you um, asking me, just making sure like I, I, that means so much and I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm glad to not be a bore. Do you know what I mean? But <laughs> I, I, th- I, th- I think what it comes down to basically is that there's, there's a lot of people out there who would think nothing wrong about just asking, just asking, just ask and ask. But it's like, you at least read the book first. You know what I mean? At least put the effort in to read the book. Yes. That's that's the minimum payment. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yes. Going back to, (laughs) you you mentioned there then that you said about, you know, her relationship with Vera, who is her immediate boss. Mm -hmm. I wonder, what has the response been from your publishing peers? Because let's face it, right? Anyone who ever knew you professionally is now going to read this book and look for themselves <laughs> in its pages. So, like, <laughs> what what do you think about that? Are there people in this book that are just essentially transplanted into fiction from reality? You know, there aren't. Um, and I think that it's a testament. Because I, I did worry. I did worry that 
having been so close to the world that I would be accidentally putting someone in that I didn't even think about. Um, But I have had multiple people uh, come back to me that I worked with. Uh, One of the imprints I worked at actually did bid on the book. So like people that I worked with closely um, read the book, even in its very earliest stages. Um, But I've gotten positive feedback. I mean, the thing that too, that at least here in the States, like when my agent and I were trying to find a publisher, I think most houses, everyone was like, I see people from here in this book, or I see someone I've met in this book. Um, Because they really are an amalgamation of so many different people. I I mentioned earlier, I think the vibe, the the vibe of the publishing world, the publishing speak, um, the values that publishing puts in high esteem, like all of those things I really wanted to put put on trial, not people specifically, because that's also not fun. If you can easily be like, oh, that's that person. I'm nothing like that. I think that is, um, that's a dangerous slope. So I, I really wanted to capture all of the wacky, borderline cultish things that I found um, within the publishing world. And again, I've had lots of people who I worked with be like, you got it so right. Like, <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, I know that's not as fun of an answer, <laughs> but no, it's fine. Cause I was just, I was reading all the way through thinking who is Colin supposed to be you know, <laughs> problematic white author. who is basically kind of like he's Norman Miller or Colin McCarthy, or he's the great American <laughs> whale, you know? And I was like, who is this? Who is this guy? But okay. Yeah. Fine. I mean, like, off air, I could tell you like a few like vague, <laughs> vague people that I had, but like there was no one. Fortunately, my authors that I worked with were, and I'm not just saying this, I wouldn't say this, but we're all very wonderful. Because um, my bosses were also both very, really good people. Okay, that's good to hear. I looked out, <laughs> but I have also heard some stories from other pe- people that it's like not always that great. <laughs> Well, as we wind this down, I want to I want to finish by asking you about character because we've kind of not really talked about, um, well, the black girl and the other black girl, Nella and Hazel. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a really interesting dynamic between them. Really interesting because at, at no point until very late on do you actually know if they are friends or enemies or frenemies. You know, it's it's a really mm-hmm. that's where that itchiness comes from. That sense of like being in an awkward situation. And like, sometimes you you don't want to follow Nella into a room because you know this situation is waiting for her. Yes. (laughs) Tell you what it reminded me of in a weird way. You know something like The Office, the the sitcom The Office? Well, I don't know if you've you've seen the British version with Ricky Gervais. Like, it is so excruciatingly cringeworthy that sometimes I have to pause it before I watch the next scene. So I need to like take a breath. (laughs) <laughs> I just like compose myself before I watch this this next thing unfold. Felt like that. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh no, no. I mean, it's a compliment of the of the highest kind. But because I, I love things that make me uncomfortable. But th- that isn't to say that that Nella is even though she is our our conduit into this world. Reading it, I wasn't sure whether what we were really supposed to make of her all the time. So there's the comments about her being, yeah. you know, an Oreo and not being black enough and stuff like this. What's your opinion of Nella? What What do you think of her? Yeah. Do you like her? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think I have to only because I really gave her a lot of my own anxieties and insecurities and so okay actually I don't have to like her and you know part of the reason why I wrote her scenes in third person close rather than first person was because I need to not be in your head all the time um it can be really hard in that way um so I really wanted to so you mentioned Rosemary's Baby earlier um which is one of my favorites like I I love the slow burn I love the kind of gaslighting like is she just like crazy or is she actually experiencing those things and I was definitely trying to have that same effect with Nella of like okay we we know Nella's got this kind of outlook on the world she has her own prejudices about what she expects from other black people um in the spaces she's in and the spaces outside of work Um, and so I did want to kind of play with this idea of like, okay, maybe, maybe Hazel, there's something going on with her, but also Nella is just like really in her head all the time. Like maybe she's over analyzing all of these things because I, I can't tell you how many times I have, especially when I was working in publishing, um, with email exchanges, with conversations, with meetings. I would sometimes go over these things and be like, did I say this thing? Like, was that me? Was that? And I think a lot of, I think a lot of young women, I I mean, talking to people about this, have experienced the same thing, Um, especially in spaces like publishing where there really are so many things that are not said, right? The passive aggressive, um, the subtext is all, there's just so much of it. And so I really had a lot of fun kind of trying to figure out exactly where Nella's perception um, Nella's perception began and where like reality began or where, where Nella's perception ended and where reality be- begins, I guess is the better way to say it. So I, I love that. I love that you, you observe that because that, that was something I really wanted to, to play with. Well, yeah. What I liked from that is that, you know, you, you don't make her this perfect soldier. Like, by her own admission, she finds it exhausting to, like, always be in the vanguard of promoting black culture. She finds it, like, just yeah. exhausting. And, and she, she you know, she retweets and she hashtags and she makes sure that she shares the right stuff. But she's aware always that she could, in theory, be taking more direct action. Right. I, I thought it was nice that a... Sounds weird, this, but a black protagonist got to be not perfect. Absolutely, and and that's what I also hoped by, by including Kendra Ray and Diana and Shawnee as well. I mean, I think that I think that black women, especially, we have to fall into. I mean, as characters, but also I think as creatives, we often have to fall into this particular space of what we're creating. Um, I know. Last year, with everything happening um, here in the U.S. and beyond, like a lot of uh, book Twitter specifically was talking about, you know, there are more than just like torture porn. Black people have more stories to tell than just really sad stories. There's space for romance. And my hope with this book is like there's space for wacky genres (laughs) um, to also exist and be given the same attention, you know, Um, so I, I, yeah, I think that I really wanted to show we're not a monolith. We, 
sometimes make mistakes. We say the wrong thing at the wrong time. Um, but also, again, like when you consider how many worlds we have to navigate so many times at the same time, it it's hard. Of course, it's good. of course, we're going to mess up sometimes. Well, that that seems a lovely place to leave chat about the actual book. I think we've we've delved into it deep there. Um, am I right in thinking this is going to be adapted for Hulu? Yes, I'm. I'm currently working on the pilot script with a co-writer. Amazing. So it's going to be a TV series then. Of course, of course, it's Hulu. We don't have Hulu in the in the in the UK. You see, so I'm always a bit a bit oblivious to it. Um, oh no, that's so sad. It's fine. It tends to. I've noticed that a lot of things that were on Hulu then get bought by the BBC. And I'm sure this definitely okay. will. Um, so is there any kind of rough time scale on that? It's all still kind of in the works. Um, so nothing to report at the moment. Um, but I have to say, even with COVID and with the world, um, we've been moving at, I mean, I don't know this world, but I think we've been moving at a pretty brisk pace. So hopefully it'll it'll keep chugging along pretty quickly. Well, hopefully. I can't wait to see it. It will make a great um a great great drama my my wife years ago um got me to watch this thing with her and it was a similar kind of eye-opening moment it was almost like yours was the secondary eye-opening moment so there was a show on the, on the bbc four or five years ago and all it was about was about this woman who worked in a real estate office or something like that and she went on maternity leave and when she came back she'd been replaced by someone who was better at the job than her and it was about these microaggressions. But it was just hilarious to see the difference in perspective because I was watching it just kind of like, what is this? And my wife was like white knuckles, like this is the tensest thing she'd ever seen. What's the name of it? Um, you know what? This is this is man Google's live on air. So let me just um Sorry, I don't I don't mean to you off. Sorry, listeners, this is important. Yes. Um I think it do. was called Yeah, it was called The Replacement. I think this, I think I know what we're talking about. Now I have to, I have to see. I'll have to check this out. That's fine. Well, as I say, my wife watched it and it, it terrified and it opened my eyes to like the, the life I don't live. And yeah. I think, you know, <laughs> in an era of peak TV and the money they will throw at this stuff, I think the other black girl could be an absolute game changer. Oh, um, thank you. I hope so. <laughs> all that's left is to ask you, um, two little questions that I like to ask each guest, if that's okay. Yes, yeah, sure. Sounds good. First of all, if you could recommend a book for my listeners to read, what would it be and why? Oh, um, so this one is a tough one, but um, I, I'm going to go with a book that I just started reading. I hope that's okay. Um, it's that's called, fine. Yeah, it's called All Her Little Secrets um, by Wanda M. Morris. Um, and I just need to remind myself when it's coming out because it hasn't come out yet, <laughs> which I know is kind of a tease. Um, but it comes out, it comes out in November. Um, and it starts with this black, uh, lawyer who suddenly she's having an affair with her white boss and, um, she finds him very early on in the book, finds him dead, covered in blood. And, from then on, I just, it sounds like a fast paced thriller, um, involves workplace politics, it sounds like, uh, but with bodies and I love bodies <laughs> being found in places and death and murder and all those things. So 
I'm really excited. All Her Little Secrets by Wanda Morris. Excellent. I will add it to the, the show notes. And that brings us to the final question. What truly scares you? Yeah, you know, I think the thing that truly scares me is the idea of the world not being that much better than the one for my children, if I do have children, or for other people's children, um, the world not being uh, better than it was for my grandparents. Um, I think that especially with the last year of the protests, um, feeling like, we touched on this a little bit, but feeling like there have been changes, some positive changes, but then kind of having these moments where, you know, the cynicism kicks in, right? I think that, I think it's it's kind of scary to, to think that my children or grandchildren will have to be concerned about all the things that I'm thinking about and all the things that my parents thought about, all the things that their parents thought about. So, I mean, they're, in a lot of ways, it's getting better, but, you know, it's it's hard to, to dismantle um, institutional racism and all of those things. Uh, you know, fast enough. I don't know. I'm not sure. So, so that's the thing I would say is this scares me the most. <laughs> I think that's probably one of the most reasonable fears anyone's ever said on this. Um, <laughs> like, I, 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 I have hope, but then again, it's easy for me to have hope, isn't it? So, you know, <laughs> let's let fingers crossed. Let you know we, we've got rid of like the the furious orange in the White House. So, hopefully, it can't be that bad again. I know. And, you know, that's, I think, honestly, as much as like that doesn't fix everything at all, but it really, I think that was a moment where like I was able that day to really like turn off the cynicism and just yeah. celebrate. Like I remember walking through Brooklyn, like the streets were crazy. It was like a beautiful, warm November day, abnormally warm. Um, and uh, I think that was like one moment I remember sighing with relief so we'll see yeah i i don't <laughs> think there is a moment quite like it in terms of a binary thing like thank god the good guy won whatever your yeah. reservations may be around biden it's kind of like right at least we didn't choose abject hate yeah, <laughs> it's like i know that, that's <laughs> and I, I i didn't sleep for 72 hours like, I, I lay on the couch like watching yeah. john king on cnn just God knows how much cocaine that man is on, but he kept on for 72 hours. And, <laughs> I, I, and I was just like, and I watched, and it happened. I thought, if I feel like that, I cannot imagine how urbanites in America feel right now. So, yeah. Yeah. Fingers <laughs> crossed. On that briefly hopeful note, I think we'll, we'll, we'll end it there. I mean, I think it's been quite clear on my social media and in the tone of my voice during this chat that I absolutely love this book i'll be astounded if it's not in my my top 10 ranking come come december um everyone it's out in a week from when you hear this go and buy it start the conversation you know what i mean but but ask your questions with some degree of sensitivity um yes but zakia delila harris thank you so much for talking scared thank you so much for having me this has been so much fun i could talk to you for like two more hours So we're 40 episodes in and I'm guessing by now you can hear in my voice when I really love a book as opposed to just liking or admiring it. 
If not, listen to my voice now and remember the tone. This is what it sounds like when I really, really love a book. If you use this show to choose which books to buy, then listen to my voice and buy this one. I've said all I can really say about the book itself without either spoiling it or making you think that the publisher has paid me to extol its virtues. Suffice to say no more, it's great. I'm more interested in addressing the nature of the interview itself. Zakia said a really interesting thing towards the end, and, and it may have gotten lost in, the, in our mutual enthusiasm. She said about black writers and people of colour generally, we are not a monolith. Now, that distills and confirms my own anxieties about the interview. Going in, before we began recording, I warned Zakia that I plan to ask her plenty of questions about race and blackness and the various social systems swirling around the book. She was really gracious and, and let's face it, the nature of her novel is such that it would be absurd not to make those topics the focus of the interview. But, and it's a big but, I'm also aware that all too often we only speak to people from minority or, or diverse backgrounds about their identities and their trauma. It's like white interviewers can only conceive of an other's existence via the very single lens of their otherness. And I'm implying a lot of air quotes here as I speak. This isn't me being holier than thou. I'm guilty myself. I, I spoke to Sylvia Moreno-Garcia, Tanana Reevdu, and now Zakia, and in each interview, I came back again and again to their racial and cultural perspectives on the worst parts of the world. I want to do better, and I want the publishing world to help me do better by not marketing every book by a person of colour as if it's a treatise on racial politics. Sometimes these books can just be fun. They can be about something else. Already, I'm starting to mangle my own message here. So instead, if any of this resonates, or even if it pisses you off and you think I'm a mega woke, wannabe snowflake, social justice warrior, I mean, if you do, sod off. But I'd recommend reading an article by someone far more qualified to comment than me, both as a person and a writer. Stephen Graham Jones, author of The Only Good Indians and the upcoming My Heart is a Chainsaw, soon to be on the show, he wrote a piece this week called An Open Letter to Cons from the Indians No Longer in the Background of a John Wayne Movie. As the title implies, it's got that typical Stephen Graham Jones style and swagger, but the letter addresses the way that the publishing world ghettoises and fetishises people from non-white backgrounds. It's also really funny. I've put it in the show notes, and if you enjoyed this interview, do read the article. And... To segue cynically into my own self-interest, if you've enjoyed this episode, also consider signing up to Patreon. God, that sounds crass. To go from a, a charged political and social issue to saying, give me money. Apologies. Basically, yeah, my Patreon. You get a minimum of two extra episodes per month with loads more extras planned in as well. Uh, already there's been extras from my interview with Tanana Reeve Do. Can you hear my embarrassment now? Um, there's an e episode of extras from Josh Malerman, Zakia, and others going live in early June, plus my first deep dive discussion of the books that have scared me the most. Patrons mean that this show can keep going, and without them it's just so much harder. I don't want to stop. I don't think you want me to either. So, yeah, thanks for your help, guys. 
I have promised to shout out all new patrons on the show. And if you've recently signed up, then apologies. You'll get a shout out in the next episode. I'm actually taking a short holiday and it meant recording this episode way in advance, but you haven't been forgotten about. But that's right. I'm away on holiday, sitting in a cottage in Devon. That's in the southwest of England, for those who don't know. Um, It's probably raining. I'm probably playing board games and reading books for upcoming episodes. Um, Those will include V. Castro, Ramsey Campbell, Joe Lansdale, Carmen Maria Machado. You tell me a better lineup anywhere on the internet. I'd love to hear from you whilst I'm away. Um, Find me on Twitter at TalkScaredPod on Instagram at TalkingScaredPod or email me direct at TalkingScaredPod at gmail.com. I know I talk a lot about Patreon now, but aside from that, I'm still thrilled by any contact from listeners. I've seen an uptick in people recommending the show to others recently, and that makes my heart glow like a bright black flame. You guys really are the best listeners a macabre little bastard like me could hope for. So, enjoy your week. Let me enjoy my brief time away from the computer. We're back next week with V. Castro, talking Texan urban legends and Queen of the Chicadas. Until then, take less shit from your boss and take your full lunch break. Try more black horror and check your privilege. Read good books. And remember, it's good to be scared.